0: Good night. Welcome, everybody. How's everybody doing? You doing good? You glad to be here? Yeah. 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 Turned into a beautiful day, didn't it? Thanks so much for uh, joining us. Good to be together with you. I've been looking forward to this series. I don't know about you, but um, this is going to be an interesting uh, series. It's called uh, You Asked For It. And it's based on uh, questions that you submitted. We circulated a survey several months ago. And we asked you, we said if you could ask God any question... What would you ask him? Or if you could have any question addressed from the Bible, what question would you want to have addressed? And you submitted hundreds of uh, uh, questions and you didn't go easy on us. Um, You were cruel to us to make us uh, answer, make your pastors answer these difficult questions. You know, I expected uh, many of the questions I, I figured that you would ask. Questions on why, why does God allow suffering and evil and pain in our lives, and we got a lot of those questions you did, and uh, we're going we're gonna to get to those later in the uh, series and I knew that uh, you'd ask questions about the, the accuracy of the Bible, and you did and you know what that's one of the reasons we brought in Jay Warner Wallace a, a couple weeks ago. He gave just a powerful message about the, the reliability of the Bible, and I'm just going to kind of defer those questions to uh, Jay Warner, you can uh, review his message and the resources that he uh, made available. So I expected uh, many of the questions, but you know what, this one surprised me. Yeah, uh, today this is a question we're going to address, is suicide uh, the unforgivable sin? I'll bet 99.9% of you have never heard a sermon in church on suicide before, uh, I, know, I know that I have, not we don't talk much about it in church. But you know what? We hear a lot about it, and we talk a lot about it in our, in our culture. And uh, I think we need to uh, talk about it. Just a couple of months ago in March, Netflix offered a, uh, a new series called 13 Reasons Why. Uh, about suicide, one of the most popular uh, series on television uh, right now. And then in April, it was all over the news, former NFL football player, Aaron Hernandez ended his life in, in prison. And more recently, uh, lead singer for Soundgarden, Chris Cornell shocked everyone. After a concert, he went to his hotel room and he took his, his life. Suicide gets a lot of attention in, in, our, in our culture, but not so much in church. And that's why we have questions. About it, but I think another reason that we have a lot of questions about it is I think many of us have been touched personally by this subject. Many years ago, uh, Marnie and I moved down to Kentucky. I began a youth ministry. I started working as a youth minister at a church. We didn't know anybody, and a couple in the church, Bob and Millie Clark. Reached out to us and were so kind and generous and hospitable to us. They had us over for dinner many times. Their son was uh, in the student ministry. And they also hosted many swim parties at their house. They even they gave us a key to their house and their swimming pool. And they said, use it any time. And they were so kind. When they would go on vacation or when our car would break down, they knew that Marty and I just had one car. And they said, here's the keys to our car. You use it. And uh, I loved using their car. They had this turbocharged Saab. Uh, it was a lot of fun to drive. And they were just so kind. And they, they, were, they were not just like friends. Bob and Millie were like uh, family. And they were a great blessing to the church. And they seemed very successful and happy. But late one evening, in the summer, I think it was 1995, uh, late on a, on, a, on a Saturday night, I got a shocking phone call from the funeral director who called to inform me that Bob Clark uh, ended his life uh, that evening. And nobody saw this coming. Nobody was prepared for this. Nobody uh, knew how to respond to it, especially me. And our senior minister was on vacation on the uh, East Coast. And so I went over to their house late that evening just to be there for Millie and her son. And I quickly realized I was in way over my head. Grief was very heavy, and uh, just all kinds of questions. Why did Bob do this? You know Why didn't we see this coming? Why didn't he say something? A few days later, we held the funeral, and if you have ever attended a funeral for someone who committed suicide, you never forget it. I mean, I've observed that the death of a loved one is, is always difficult, but when it's by suicide, it just complicates the grief a hundred times. It's complicated because family members left behind struggle with embarrassment and shame over how their loved one ended their life and the guilt of what they could have done. It's complicated because everyone fears even mentioning the word suicide. It's complicated because there's so many questions about the mental state and the reasons behind the suicide that we'll never fully know or comprehend or understand. And it's complicated because there are faith questions. You know, what happens to the person who committed suicide? My guess is uh, that everyone here has been affected directly or indirectly by by suicide. Well, here here are some facts that we cannot ignore. Every 12 minutes in our country, somebody commits suicide. In a recent 15-year period, the annual suicide rate, this surprised me, increased 24% in our country. In a 10-year period, among people aged 35 to 64, the number of suicides increased by nearly 30%. The biggest increase was by men in their 50s. Suicide jumped by nearly 50%. Suicide is on the rise. Do you know that in America, uh, more people now die in, by suicide than automobile accidents? It's astounding, isn't it? Suicide is all around us. Many of us, I think, felt shocked and stunned a few years ago when we learned about the suicide of Robin Williams, such a great talent, who made us laugh. But it was a great reminder, wasn't it, about the the burdens and pains and hurts that you never know sometimes people carry. Suicide is all around us. It happens to the famous and the unknown. It happens to the rich and the poor. It even happens to people who sit in church every weekend. And yet we seldom talk about it. And I'll tell you something else that we seldom talk about. I'll bet if there was a way of knowing how many people in this room have entertained, even briefly, thoughts of ending our life. How many of us? I bet that number would be staggering This may surprise you that some of the greatest individuals in the Bible had suicidal thoughts. For example, in 1 Kings chapter 19, we find Elijah, the great prophet of God, battling depression. He got so down. Look at what it says in verse 45. He came to a broom brush, sat down under it and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord. He said, take my life. That's Elijah. But he wasn't the only one. Moses had moments like that. Jonah had moments like that. They asked God to... to to take their lives too. In fact, we find seven instances recorded in the Bible of people committing suicide. Here's a list. I'm not going to go over each one of these. Judas is is probably the most well-known. So suicide is not a new problem, but it's on the rise. Why? Why do so many people take their own life? Some of you are wondering, why did my loved one end their life? Some people uh, take their lives and, and see it as a release from pain. They live in physical pain every day. And the inability to cope with injury, illness, or disease, or it might be emotional pain, the, the rejection of somebody that they love. But almost always, suicide happens as a result of a deep depression that sits, sets in on someone. Now, all of us, you know, we, we get depressed, we get down, we get the blues, But suicidal depression is much different. People feel hopeless and helpless, believing that things will never get better. And sometimes mental illness can be a factor. And sometimes alcohol or drugs can be a factor that creates just a lethal combination. And yet the Bible says this in Psalm 46, verse 1. God is our refuge and strength. Look at this. And ever-present help in trouble. And so God's not just our strength in the past. God's not just our strength in the future. God is our present strength right now in this moment. But so often the person contemplating suicide cannot see it at at this time. They cannot believe that, that there is hope that God would help them in their trouble. So is suicide the unforgivable sin? And let's be honest, there's probably a question behind that question, and it's this one, is, is my loved one in hell because he or she committed suicide? You know, many of us seem to have tucked way in the back of our, of our minds um, this idea that suicide is the, is the unforgivable sin. Maybe, maybe it's because of our religious upbringing, or maybe you've just always thought that way. But did you know that out of the seven suicides in the Bible, recorded in the Bible, not one of them, not one has a comment made about it after the suicide. Nothing is said about the eternal destination of the person. Not even about uh, Judas. So let's deal with this question in two steps. Is, number one, is suicide a sin? And then is it unforgivable? Now, I don't want to minimize this because my understanding of Scripture is that suicide is a very serious sin. First of all, it violates the seventh commandment that says you shall not kill. You shall not take an innocent life. And then second, scripture teaches that our body belongs to God. Look at what the Apostle Paul says about this. He says, you're not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. In other words, if you follow uh, Jesus, your body does not belong to you. It belongs to God. He paid for it. Jesus paid for it on the cross. And then third, I think suicide is a sin because you start playing God. Scripture teaches that God gives the gift of life and he determines the number of our days. And so by taking my own life, I'm playing God. And I violate really the first commandment that says you shall have no other gods before me. Clearly, suicide is a sin. And like all sin, it breaks God's heart. But is it the unforgivable sin? You know, this idea that suicide is the unforgivable sin really, really grew out of the teaching of a theologian named Augustine many, many centuries ago. And then later on, a Catholic priest and theologian named Thomas Aquinas reinforced this teaching. Aquinas said that confession of sin must be made before you depart from this world. And so he thought of suicide as the most fatal of all sins because the victim cannot repent or confess it. I've even heard of churches who will not allow a funeral ceremony in their facility for a person who committed suicide. And years ago when people would, would uh, you know, bury, uh, you know, they would have uh, cemeteries around their, 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 their church. There were churches that would not allow someone to be buried on their property who committed suicide. Not only do I find that incredibly damaging, that does not reflect the heart of God. I believe that you have never committed any sin. And your loved ones who have accepted the grace of Jesus Christ have never committed a sin that God cannot forgive. Let's take a look here at, at some teaching that the Apostle Paul gives us in Ephesians It's really important that we begin to look at this concept of grace through the eyes of, of God. Paul says it, it is by grace that you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it's the gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast. And So clearly you're saved, we're saved by grace, not works. We're saved by grace, not works. Now I want to stop here for a moment because I really think that many of us don't understand, don't really understand this concept of, of grace and what it's all about. Let me uh, Let me show you a diagram. Let's say this line right here. Uh, represents the line of salvation. And you, become a, you make a decision to become a follower of Jesus and you, you start following Jesus, you get baptized and you're growing in your relationship with God, you know, you're praying, you're going to church, you're in a small group and everything's going great in your life and, and you can really see God's hand in your life. It's an exciting time. God does amazing things. But then you have your first major sin. Yeah, that old habit. You fall back into that old habit and you're back down here. And you feel really bad. You feel really guilty. Maybe you, t- maybe you even talk to somebody about it. Maybe you talk to a pastor. And you confess it uh, to God. And then, you know, you're, then you're back up here. And you're back on track. And you're, you're, you're on the right path again. You're getting closer uh, to God. And then you go on spring break. And you, and you stay on, on spring break here. Yeah. For a few days. Yeah. And then... You get back on the right path and you have some good times and you have some, you know, some bad times, right? And this is how we view, this is how we tend to view grace. This is how we tend to view salvation. It's interesting to me, when I went through the cards and all the questions, the hundreds of questions that you submitted, how many of them um, uh, indicated that you follow Jesus and you're afraid that you have uh, dropped below the line? And I think the reason for this is because this is not grace. This is works, okay? Let me show you what grace looks like. Let's say this line is uh, salvation here. And you make a decision. You become a follower of Jesus. You get baptized. You're growing in your relationship uh, with God. And then, uh, let's say, you know, you fall back into that old habit. You know, that old, t- look at this. You, you, you're not going to go down here, okay? Uh, you're still saved. You're still in a saved relationship. You're not as close to God, but you're still saved. And then, you know, you get back on the path here and you're getting closer uh, to God. And then maybe some of you had a season in your life when you walked away, maybe for a long period of time. Maybe that's what brought you back to uh, River Glen. And you decided, you know what, I'm going to get back, uh, you know, with God. And you start growing Again, and getting closer to him, you're back on the right path. This is what grace looks like. And the only time, okay, I'm going to give you my opinion on this, and there are people in this church that would have another opinion. This is, this is just my opinion. The only time you go beneath the line here, can go beneath the line, is if you make a conscious decision to reject God and never come back uh, to him. I had a professor who said, if you've ever worried that you've fallen below the line, Then you haven't because the mere fact that you're worried about it shows that you have a heart that wants to be right with God and you're above the line. Listen, this is grace. We're saved by grace, not works. And this is what grace looks like. And for a follower of Jesus who's received that grace, even though they get confused and commit the sin of suicide, I don't know how you could say they've committed an unforgivable sin. It would be the same as if a person, think about this, it would be the same as if a person committed a sin and then died in a car accident before they had the opportunity to ask for forgiveness. We're not saved because we ask forgiveness for every sin that we commit. We're saved because we put our faith in Jesus. We're saved by grace. I want you to look at this scripture uh, from, the, from the book of Titus, and uh, I want you to see this, I want you to say this out loud with me together on the count of three. Ready, one, two, three. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. We're not saved because of the righteous things that we've done. We're not saved because we have it all together, we're saved because of God's mercy. We're saved because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. Romans chapter 8, verse 1 says, there's now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Yeah, but what about those who commit suicide? There is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus because we're not saved by our faithfulness. We're saved by God's faithfulness. Now, suicide is never God's will for someone's life because God values life. But the Bible is very clear about those who go to heaven. It's those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ because Jesus has died for all your sins, even if your last act was a sin. Suicide is a serious sin, but because of the cross and the empty tomb for a believer, it is not unforgivable. So how do we respond? How do we respond to all of this today? I want to talk to three groups of people here today. First of all, I want to talk to those of you that might have suicidal thoughts. Second, I want to talk to those of you who have lost a loved one to suicide. And then third, a third group I want to talk to are those of us who call River Glen home. And what is our response as a church? First of all, sometimes we have people who come through our doors experiencing bouts of depression and and just feeling hopeless and thinking about ending it all. And if that's you, I want to encourage you, you're not alone. Um, this is treatable. There is help available. There is help in the med- available in the medical community. There is help in the psychological community. And there is help in this church. We have trained people called Stephen ministers that would, that would be glad to, to meet with you and to listen to you and to just breathe hope and breathe life into you. I want to encourage you to get help because this is treatable. I've had dark times in my life when life seemed difficult and hopeless. And, you know, I prayed the same prayer Elijah prayed. You know, God, take me. I'm ready to go. But those feelings were were, were temporary. And what you're feeling will pass. Somebody told me this week that... Suicide is a permanent solution to a temporary problem. It's treatable. And I don't say that to minimize your feelings. Jesus said, In this world, you will have trouble. But he also said, Take heart. I have overcome the world. God will bring hope back into your life. God loves you with an everlasting love. And suicide is never God's will or God's plan for your life, it, it would cause unimaginable pain. In, in everybody else, for everyone else in your life, suicide is never the answer. You're you're not alone. Um, get help. This is treatable. Uh, call the. There's a hotline number. We put it on the uh, bottom of the outline. Or even better, stop at the Connect Wall after the service. We have people that would love to talk to you and help you. Second, I want to talk to the, to those of you who have lost someone to suicide. Uh, Rick and Kay Warren have literally helped millions and millions of of people. Rick Warren wrote The Purpose Driven Life, which is the best-selling hardcover book of all times. Over 30 million uh, copies sold. But uh, a few years ago, four years ago, Rick and Kay Warren experienced the most unimaginable tragedy in their lives when their 27-year-old son, Matthew, ended his life. Rick says he walked through that season... And he noticed six discernible stages of loss. And if you've lost someone to suicide, this will be helpful for you. But this, this isn't just for suicide. This applies to any kind of, of loss. This will help you get through whatever you're going through. It will help you identify where you are and what, the next, what God's next step uh, would be uh, for you. And you may not go through these steps in this order, but you will go through these steps. Rick says the first stage is, is shock. Shock. It's shock because your world gets turned upside down. When a loved one dies, you're in shock. When you lose your job, you're in shock. Rick said he was in shock for a month. He was numb. He didn't know what to do. Because when someone takes their life, your world is turned upside down. And when you're in this stage, if you can't postpone making any major decisions for your life. The second stage is sorrow. Sorrow. You begin to grieve Uh, the the loss because you're made in God's image. You know, shock is a human emotion. God never feels shock, but God feels sorrow. Scripture says that Jesus wept. The prophet Isaiah said that Jesus was a man acquainted with sorrow. And so give yourself permission to embrace the sorrow and let the tears flow and give yourself permission to step out of that numbness and feel uh, the feelings. Sometimes in Christian circles, people... People get misguided about this. I don't know why, but sometimes in churches, there, there will be some people who will uh, th- think, seem to think that it's more spiritual to pretend like, like it's not that bad or, or everything's fine. I don't know where that thinking comes from. It's not from the Bible. Psalm 34 says, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. And so embrace the sorrow. The third stage is struggle, which is where you begin to ask questions. And it's okay to ask questions because when you experience a loss, you want an explanation. God, why did I lose my job? God, why did I lose this loved one? Why did they die? Why did did this happen in my life? It's okay to ask questions. But there is no explanation that's going to satisfy all of your questions. Truth is, you don't need an explanation what you really need is faith. You need God. And the test of faith is what you do when you don't get your questions answered, when you don't get the answers that you want. And then here's the fourth stage, surrender. Surrender is the only path to peace. You stop asking and you start submitting. Rick Warren said in his journal during this mo- these months, this is what he wrote. He said, I would rather walk with God with none of my questions answered than to walk through life without him and know all the answers. Surrender means giving control over to God and just, and just submitting all of this to him. And if you feel anger, maybe anger at that person because of what they did and what they put you through. Or maybe even anger at God for allowing this to happen. Surrender means that you ask the God who forgives and accepts us to give you the strength to accept and forgive yourself and others. And this is, this is where you begin to really experience peace. And then the fifth stage is sanctification. Now, that, that's a churchy word. Don't let it scare you. It just means to be set apart. God begins to set us apart. This is where God begins to bring the good out of the bad. God begins to transform your character and make changes in you. The Apostle Paul said in Galatians chapter 5, when, when we begin to allow the Holy Spirit to work in our lives, we develop the fruit of love and joy, peace. Patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. And then the last stage is service. God wants to take your greatest pain, your greatest mess, the thing you regret the most, and use it in the lives of other people. For example, I mean, who better can help someone cope with a loss than somebody who has been through a loss? That's the power of God in our lives, to take your mess and use it for ministry to help other, other people. So how do we respond as, as a church? How do we respond as a church, not only to people who struggle with suicidal feelings, but also to those who have lost somebody? I wanna I want challenge our church in two ways. First of all, first challenge, invest and invite others into community. Because None of us thrive in in isolation. God made us to need other people. And that's why from day one, one of the core values of this church has been to connect people into community. Something I've observed over the years is the kinds of relational investments that people make before, during, and after a time of loss plays a huge role in how well they're able to move forward into the future after a time of loss. Now, when I say community here, this involves more than, you know, getting together in a room like this for an hour a week and looking at the back of somebody's head. You have to intentionally invest yourself in community, in a small group of, of some kind. That's why I'm, I'm just thrilled and excited by the growth of, of, of the group life ministry in our church. And this weekend, after this service, is group, group link event. Uh, in the lobby, you'll have the opportunity to meet group leaders and find out more about summer groups, because every follower of Jesus, every person needs to connect in community. And that's why we we, we not only need to invest ourselves in community, we need to invite other people into community so that no one is alone and so no one feels like there's no hope for them. The Golden Gate Bridge is the number two most popular destination in our world where people go to commit suicide. A few years ago, they collected a An anonymous suicide note written by a person as they made their way to the bridge. In the note, he said that he was walking to the bridge with the intention of ending his life. But he said, if one person, in the note, if one person smiles at me on the way, I will not jump. But he jumped. So many people need someone that they can turn to. So many people, I mean, just feeling down and and, and depressed. And they need somebody to invest in them and invite them into a community. And let me say, as a church community, we need to look out for each other. We need to have our antenna up for anybody exhibiting signs of hopelessness or or depression. And when people talk about suicide, take it seriously. That's a sign they want help. Um, If if a person is contemplating suicide, don't worry about breaking a confidence. Call 911. Get professional help. Stay with them. Until help arrives and tell them and show them that that you love them and God loves them. One more challenge to our church. Our world has so much pain and heartbreak. We have the privilege to be a hospital of of hope. We've been entrusted with this message of hope. and, And that hope is Jesus Christ. And so we must never stop offering forgiveness and grace and healing and freedom and new beginnings For people who need to know that God gave his one and only son. Let's put our arms around each other and say, I love you. And God loves you. And God and I are going to help you through this. You know what's the most repeated promise in scripture? The number one promise in the Bible is this. God says, I am with you. I am with you. God promises that over and over. When Jesus was born, he was called Emmanuel, which means God uh, with us. Uh, the Holy Spirit that God gives us in the original language, the word uh, to describe the Holy Spirit is paraclete para meaning the one who comes alongside if you 're an attorney, you know what a paralegal is somebody that comes alongside and helps you if, if you 're crazy enough to jump out of an airplane, um, you know what a parachute is uh, it comes alongside you in that in, in that moment to help you uh, derek redmond was a was a British Olympian who. Ran the 400-meter. He was a favorite to win the gold medal in the uh, 1992 Olympics in Barcelona. But uh, he pulled a hamstring and he just watched his dream come crashing to an end as all the other runners uh, came by him. But he kept going. And, and then out of the stands, somebody came down. You know who that is? That's his dad, you know, alongside uh, him. Security tried to get him away, but his dad was there. Puts his arm around him and holds him up and together... They finished the race. You have a heavenly father like this. He wants to walk with you. He wants to run with you. Uh, he'll never leave you alone. He will carry you. And uh, he is going to stick with you all the way to the finish. And today, you can take his hand. You have a God today who can save you and rescue you. Today, you can say yes to God's love it gives you the power to overcome. You can turn and go in a new direction and invite Jesus Christ to be your leader and, and forgiver. Maybe, maybe you want to do that right now. In the next few quiet moments, just say, Jesus, that, that's what I want. I want to take your hand. I want uh, your payment on the cross to be effective in, in my life, to, to pay for my sins, to set me free. And then your first step as a follower of Jesus is to express your faith in baptism, to identify with uh, the death, burial, and resur- resurrection of Jesus. We got our we got our baptistry filled up and and ready to go. We got a we got a bunch of people that we're going to baptize after the service tonight, and uh, you're welcome to hang out and and, and watch the baptisms. And we got some banana splits to to celebrate. And you know what? It's not too late if you want to jump in. We've got everything you need. Just go to the table in the lobby, the baptism table against the connect wall, and we would love to have the opportunity to baptize you tonight. And today, as we prepare to share communion, maybe you just want to say thank you to our Heavenly Father who is, is, is with us. And you want to you thank God for the Holy Spirit who's alongside you, and thank God for the bread and the cup of communion that remind us how God entered our pain, entered our world, so that we would never have to be alone. If you're new here today and and this communion experience is is new uh, for you, in just a few moments uh, after the song, I I want you to know trays are going to come down your row. And if you'd like to participate and remember the body and blood of Jesus, just take the double cup. And after you take a moment to reflect on it, when you're ready, you can just go ahead and eat the bread and drink the, the juice. But if that's not comfortable for you, don't feel like you have to participate. I hope that you will reflect on what you heard Today And know that we have a place for you at this table, at this communion table, when you decide to turn in his direction. Let me pray for us. And then after this song about our message of hope, we're going to share communion together. Let's pray. God, in the midst of our questions and confusion about this subject, I want to thank you that you are the solid rock on which we can stand. I thank you for being the giver of hope. I thank you for being the forgiver of sins and the author of love. And I pray that you would rescue anyone in this room right now who doesn't think there is hope for them and that they would look to you. Thank you for being a God who desires to run with us and carry us. May your Holy Spirit be a great comforter to those who have lost someone and continue the grieving process and the healing process. God, help us as a church to really be the church in our various arenas of life, and that we would provide an open and caring atmosphere of love to those around us. That we would be alert to any danger signs to people who are giving up hope and need to know that you're there and and you care and you're a specialist in rescuing people who turn and cry out to you. God, may this church always remember the urgency of our mission to share hope and to be a hospital of hope, the hope that only Jesus Christ can give. And it's in his name we pray, amen.